Beloved congregation of the Lord, would you please turn your Bibles again to the second chapter of Habakkuk in the first verse. I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. Well, congregation, what a wonderful tradition it is that we set aside one evening every year in the middle of the week in order to consider this great matter of prayer. Prayer is something that unites all of the true people of God, no matter how different we may be in background or in personality. Every child of God prays. Everyone who has been born again by the Spirit of God and and has a true saving faith in Jesus Christ, this is the very breath of life. It is to breathe and to sustain your spiritual life. When you commune with this God in prayer. And so the health of any Christian spiritually the well-being of your relationship with God, it, it can often be determined by your prayer life. How is your prayer life? When you would take stock of the place of prayer, day to day, week to week, year to year, do you see an increase of this um, uh, in, importance of the spiritual duty. And likewise, if that's important for an individual Christian, so likewise, if, if we would seek to gauge the spiritual health of our families and in our congregation as a whole and, and the nation in which we live, you can examine each one of those groups of people and, and you can ask the question, how important? is prayer. Well, I think that in order to answer that question, we need to really consider what is true prayer? How, how is it that this works itself out in the, the life of a believer? And, and what is the purpose of it? What is the character of it? And in all uh, these things, I think one of the more vivid and and really touching uh, illustrations of the, the believer at prayer is found in this verse that we have just read. And I'd like to consider uh, this verse from Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 1 under simply the theme of the watchman. The watchman. And we'll consider first the calling of the watchman, second the place of the watchman, and third, the expectation of the watchman. Will you agree with me, congregation, that uh, in times of tragedy, the way in which that is processed, experienced, and thought about by a Christian will be different than that who is a non-believer. 
Maybe you can think of this example. You're maybe driving down the highway and uh, you see there's a terrible accident on the side of the road and you see there's the ambulance and, and you look at it and it really looks bad. It looks like, um, like great devastation has, has resulted from that collision. And, and you know, anyone who's a sympathetic uh, soul, they'll look at that and they'll, they'll be saddened by that, that suffering and, and perhaps that loss of life. But it, it strikes differently a, a Christian when it is, well, surely, for a Christian, they're, they're plagued by questions like, well, I wonder if that person was a believer. That, that person is a never-dying soul. Are, are they going to pass into eternity right now as I'm driving past? Well, maybe you've had that sort of experience and maybe you've, you've even pulled over and, and prayed for, for that situation if you could do nothing else. I think it's also true when you look in the, in the global sense, when, when you look at uh, different tragic situations in the news or in your community, isn't it the case that there's a, a kind of burden that you feel as a, as a Christian because you see things differently. You see them in their significance as they relate to God and the spiritual realities that he has spoken about. Well, that was certainly the case for this man Habakkuk. This, this very godly man uh, was a prophet of the Lord. And he was commissioned to uh, give this prophecy as it concerned uh, a very terrible time when the nation of the Chaldeans or the Babylonians was wrecking such terrible devastation upon his countrymen. He saw the wicked troops of this evil empire descend upon the people as though they were ferocious beasts like wolves and and uh, leopards and they were completely uh, defenseless it seemed he describes them as being sucked into this great net like like little fish and unable to, to do anything as they're, they're dragged into the, the control of this uh, wicked power. And it's not merely that he is uh, sympathetic for his countrymen, but he, he sees this in its relation to what God is doing in all this. And you notice that in the beginning of the chapter, that it's, it's really God that he is contending with and pleading with in the midst of these events. He says in chapter 1 and verse 2, O Lord, how long shall I cry, and thou wilt not hear, even cry out unto thee of violence, and thou wilt not save? Why dost thou show me iniquity, and cause me to grow to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me, and there are that raise up strife and contention. Therefore the law is slacked, and judgment doth never go forth, for the wicked doth compass about the righteous. Because Therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. And so I think Habakkuk surely understood that there was something of God's judgment upon the people in this, but the thing that he, he couldn't reconcile, the thing that he couldn't see straightly about was how it is God could allow these wicked people to get away with this. 
How is it that this barbarous, tyrannical nation could could exercise such injustice and such violation of God's standards and and commandments and, and yet get away with it? You see, it's the honor of God that occupied Habakkuk in this. And so... This informs how he is relating to God and how it is that he comes before the Lord in prayer. And he speaks about uh, this in relation to his calling, the calling of himself as a watchman. Chapter 2 and verse 1. I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower. And will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. Now, I'm sure you're familiar with the history of these times. You see, this was a time in which people would live in uh, cities that would be guarded by these great walls. And the purpose of these walls was to keep out enemy forces and uh, soldiers and, and things like that. And, and uh, in order to ensure that these communities were kept safe, you would often have someone who would be assigned to a special task. And that calling or job involved watching. You see, the watchman had to scan the horizon for movement, for the activity of the approaching army, or even the first signs of even the scout from the enemy's um, military forces going on the horizon so that the city could be notified and that the defense strategy could be devised. A watchman, someone who stood on guard for, for the country to which he was loyal. And you notice that the prophet Habakkuk, he speaks of himself in this way. He says, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower. And I think there's a perhaps a special sense in which this man given to prayer and communion with God had a special calling from the Lord as a prophet. The prophet's had such a, an intimacy and, an, and a close access unto God that their, their prayer life, as it's described in these great books of the Old Testament, is especially vivid and, and striking. But I'd like to apply how Habakkuk describes his calling as a watchman to ourselves as Christians. I'd like to consider how uh, we can uh, learn lessons from this as our own calling as Christians, especially as it concerns our prayer lives. And the first thing that we uh, can take from these words, I think, is that for a Christian, our, our prayer life is of a very personal nature. Our calling and our, uh, our job to pray it is something that is individual to your life story and your um, personality. He says, I will stand upon my watch. My watch. 
Every uh, Christian, I think you'll, uh, you'll agree, um, they will experience this in some measure. The reality is that God has dealings with me. God has dealings with you. Each one of us are, are never-dying souls. We were created by God. Our, our whole life is in his hands. And, and from the moment he calls us into the role as a Christian, he calls us to be praying people, to relate to him personally, to speak unto him, to be diligent in this calling. And so you, uh, when you pray, the most important thing uh, about that, it seems to, to me, or certainly one of the most important things, is that it is very sincere. It is from you. You're not mouthing words that you've heard from others merely. You're, you're not just um, going through the motions. But this is something that you are owning, something that is coming from you and your personality. This is who you are. And, and with that, if we are to be uh, those who are taking this calling seriously, I think it's also good to um, consider the, the purpose of it. If you have a job or a, or a calling, you need to know your job description. What is it that you're seeking to accomplish? And, and so likewise, you can see as um, Habakkuk describes his prayer life here, it, it comes through that he has a really solid sense of, of the purpose of his uh, prayer life. He says, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. So as he's praying to the Lord, as he's seeking communion and, and, um, and direction from his God, he, he is doing it for a purpose. And that is that he will have an answer. He will have a response. His care is that he would receive illumination and revelation from God so that he could address the people of God in their confusion of the days in which they live so that He'd have a word from God. And of course, every minister knows, knows something about that. If anyone is going to get behind this desk, it's because they have bathed their sermon in prayer. They have desired to have a message from the Lord for the people to whom they must speak. Anyone who would give their own ideas, well, they wouldn't truly be one who is living up to their calling. But I think likewise, there's relevance to every Christian as a praying Christian. The reason why you exist, Christian, is not for your own, um, your own mere satisfaction to, to be a Christian. It's not merely for your own comfort and, and pleasure and, and security. You, as a Christian are called also for the well-being of the people of God. And the Lord, according to the, the calling in which he has called you to this, would have you take this so seriously that you would uh, seek the well-being of, 
all believers, all Christians, the advance of the kingdom and the glory of God in that. You would truly love those who are, um, who are joined with you by uh, the covenant of God. And in order that you would do that, you must be a praying Christian. If you are not one who is seeking fellowship with the Lord and help from the Lord, can you expect to do anything as a Christian? Can you expect to exercise the least amount of love in your calling if you do not have the Lord's blessing upon you and, and the light from his revelation? That's what it's, what it's about. It's, it's prayer that fuels everything in the Christian life. We need the blessing and the presence from the Lord. And that must begin with seeking it in prayer. So it's personal and there's a, a clear purpose uh, to it. But uh, I think that uh, what I'd also like to say is that there's a real strong note of perseverance in this prayer. He says, I will stand upon my watch. So this uh, watchman, uh, he has to stand erect and, um, and upright in his uh, station. He has to be determined that he is going to man his post, that he is going to be diligent in his watch, and that he's not going to fall asleep. He's not going to be uh, down on the job, but he's going to be persevering he's he knows what his his task is and so he is setting himself to this task and calling so you can see that that uh, the prayer life and the the resolution to pray it's not something that's automatic if uh, there is no uh, real importance for prayer in your life if it doesn't take a a central role if 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 it's the case that you'd have to look at your life and you'd, you'd have to say, well, I've, I've been asleep on the job. It hasn't been, been a prominent part of my life. There's, there's scattered prayers here and there, and, and I kind of do it whenever I, I have time. Then, then perhaps you don't have that, that mindset that this is from the Lord, that this has a purpose. And, and if that's the case, if God's honor is at stake, then, then can it not but be that you will be diligent in it, that you will set aside time for it, and that you will persevere in the calling to pray. Well, such, thus far we see the calling of the watchman, but I'd also like to uh, note for you that we also have the place of the watchman he says, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and watch to see what he will say to me. So he doesn't just say he will stand upon my watch. He also says, set me upon the tower. And of course, there's something that's very fitting about this. If you are a watchman, uh, then you, you can't just stay uh, on uh, the street level with everyone else. You need a place of, uh, of elevation in which, to, um, in which to fulfill that calling and that responsibility. There, there has to be a particular place that is fitting for you to do this responsibility. 
And so it also uh, is with us. I think that uh, Habakkuk, he's obviously not talking about a literal tower, but he's talking about something that is uh, spiritual in nature. He's, he's talking about the, the posture of himself as a believer as he is in relation to God. He is experiencing closeness to the Most High God. And so as such, he is uh, elevated uh, spiritually. He is high above the world and the cares of it, and he is in communion with God. And so it must be with each one of us. There must be, not if there is true prayer, there must be the same spiritual posture. We must set ourselves upon the tower of communion with God. And what is it that we can learn from this? If if we are setting aside time to pray and we are, are saying this is the time that we have in order to pray personally before God, then what is it that we can learn from this illustration to help us to recognize that in ourselves? Well, the first thing about a tower is that it's a place of isolation, isn't it? It's a place of isolation. You're up there upon that tower and you're separate from everyone and everything else down below. If you're up in that tower, you don't have the hustle and bustle of the crowds. You don't have the noise and commotion. No, you're, you're there alone upon your tower. So there's... There's something about the heart of a child of God, something about the praying soul that is separate, that is isolated, because it is directed towards the God to whom it is speaking. So in the, in the first place, this isolation or this separateness, it has to be a separation from sin. And I think the, the reality is that it's easy to think that we are doing well when it comes to sin, that indeed we're a righteous and upstanding person, right up until that point in which we are beginning to take prayer seriously. If you would be alone with the Lord, alone with an open Bible, alone with yourself, then you come to see exactly the the extent to which sin has permeated your thoughts. How it is that, that seeking to truly pray, to truly present your, your mind before the Lord, well, well, there's all sorts of temptations that come at that time. There can be, be sinful lusts and desires that, um, that we experience at that time precisely because Satan knows that if by stirring up those things, he can suppress the spirit of prayer. And you can multiply the examples. If, if there's a sinful anger and resentment in your heart, well, it'll come up at precisely that point when you are seeking to be diligent in this act of prayerful worship before God. If it's the case that there is a lack of discipline in your heart, well, it'll surface at that point when you're trying to exercise discipline. If there is a, a laziness in your, uh, 
in yourself. If there is really a lack of reverence and fear of the Lord, well, it'll, it'll come out there. Really, with prayer, there's, there's nowhere to hide these things. And yet, we must seek to be separate from sin, mustn't we? The, if, there's, if there's no real separation from these things and no sincere heart before the Lord, communing with him, then, then such prayer is not possible. But likewise, we could uh, say this. There's a separation from things that perhaps are not uh, sinful in their place, but are distractions. They can be distractions. I don't know if you've uh, found this, but perhaps you're setting aside uh, time to prayer, and it's precisely at that point, as you're beginning to pray, that you think of something that you need to do. And it can be something that's actually very, uh, very lawful in its place. Maybe you need to call someone up on the phone to, uh, to help them with something. Maybe you need to take care of that chore or that task. Or, uh, or maybe it's the case that you need to connect with someone or, or check out uh, something that you need to, to research or whatever it may be. But in all these things, when you, when you multiply how many times that's happened in your life, can't you begin to see a pattern? And that is that the cares of the world and the busyness of life, they encroach in upon the hour that ought to be separate. And so it is an automatic, isn't it? If you're really going to be serious about prayer, you need to get up upon that tower. You need to leave behind everything else down below. You need to seek the face of God and whatever it may be in your life, whether it's um, an electronic device or whether it's the presence of other people or or whether it's uh, any number of of, uh, weaknesses that we may have that will drive us to distraction, All those things, we must be uh, determinate about this, that we'll be separate from them. We will commune with God in prayer. The next thing I would notice about this place of prayer is the perspective that it gives. And obviously, it's uh, right at the very core of uh, the watchman's title, that he watches, that he gives his attention to things, that he perceives things, that that others do not. And so from that elevated place of communion with God, how far can the believer see? How far can the man or woman of prayer see where others cannot? Well, Habakkuk, he, he from that uh, place of his tower, he could see so far. He, he in that first uh, chapter of Habakkuk, uh, Habakkuk, the book of Habakkuk, that is, he could perceive all the different scenarios that were playing out, the, the tragedies and the turmoil, but, but most of all, how it related to God. That was the perspective that he found from the top of that uh, tower. You notice how he puts it in chapter 1 and verse 12. Art thou not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, mine Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, thou hast ordained them for judgment. And, O mighty God, thou hast established them for correction. 
Thou art of pure eyes, and to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. Wherefore lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously, and holdest thy tongue when the wicked devourest the man that is more righteous than he? It's the character of God that defined everything for him, how he looked at others, how he looked at the events that were playing out before him. And perhaps... uh, that's where we, we ought to take some direction from Habakkuk in this. Very often, the, the reason why we are confused in life, why we have um, uh, incorrect views about either the world or our personal lives or uh, some decision that we must make, it's because our perspective is all wrong. We're caught up in... Uh, short-term thinking of this world and the worldly thinking of this world and the selfish uh, perspective that, that we are often driven to. And uh, it's all, it all looks very foolish from the, the elevated place of communion with God. When you are communing with the Most High God, isn't it the case that everything in your life looks different? Because you come to see that it is something that is very uh, different to behold in the light of eternity, in the light of God's holiness, of his truth, than it is according to your own, your own conception and, and thinking of things. Everything in our life, it, it ought to be colored by a prayerful spirit. If we are those who have this spirit, we will be attentive for many things to pray about. We will be watchers as we interact with our families. We will be looking for things to pray about. We will be looking for people to pray about. We will be looking for needs for which to pray The prayer life of a believer, it should be dynamic, it should be creative, it should involve your your thinking. How is it that I can pray today? Who is it that I should pray for? Can Can I talk to people and say, what can I pray for you about? Can we pray together right now? Watching for for things in in a prayerful spirit. It it changes everything. And and as we, we observe these things, we we ought to see how dramatically it could change everything in our lives if we would give ourselves to this prayerful spirit, how much more clarity we would have from that perspective on the tower of communion with God. Well, we've considered the calling of the watchman and the place of the watchman, but let's consider in the third and and last place the expectation of the watchman. I will, set, I will stand upon my tower and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I will answer when I am reproved. Well, it's interesting that he says he expects to be uh, reproved, doesn't it? It almost sounds like... Uh, he thinks he may have done something wrong. And of course, when we read that opening chapter, he was very bold, wasn't he? At some points, he, it almost seems as though he came close to um, criticizing God in his 
holiness. He was very bold in, in pleading the, the questions and, and burdens of his heart. And, and so he puts it in this way. He expects to be reproved. But when we look at that, that expectation, we, we do see something of the heart of true faith, don't we? He says uh, um, he will watch to see what he, that is God, will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. So the, the picture there is that there he is. He is in the, the place of prayer and communion with God. And he is watching especially for this, for the answer that will surely come. There is a firm expectation in his soul that God will answer his prayer. It's a man with what we would call true Christian hope, the, the firm belief that the Lord will, will be good to him, and especially in, in his prayer. And I think we need to uh, come to see from that is something that that's so different from what we often sink into in our our prayer life right perhaps there's someone that uh, you've been praying for many years for their conversion you've been praying for them and you've been praying for them and you've been praying for them and at a certain point it's just like okay i've got to check off the box i'm going to pray for that person again and and okay well i've done that for today but then after you finish praying, you don't give it a second thought. You don't really expect ultimately anything to happen because, well, it's just praying. It's just saying prayers. And what's missing in those moments is what's missing is really the living belief that God is present, that God hears prayer, and that God answers prayer. Imagine that you would uh, pray for someone that you'd, um, they, they would be converted and then you'd immediately call them up and say, well, well what happened? And then say, well, well, what do you mean? Why, why are you calling me? Well, I wanted to see what happened because I prayed for you. Well, that's, that's more the idea of what was happening with Habakkuk. He is being attentive for signs that the Lord will answer him. That should be the case whenever we really pray. Whenever we, we bring our burdens before the Lord, there needs to be this follow-through. We need to be observant for signs that the Lord is at work. Because if we're not, well, well doesn't it trace back to this fact that we're not really believing that the Lord answers prayer? Isn't it? Uh, striking what the Lord Jesus said. He said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be removed, and it'd be cast into the sea. Sometimes that makes us uncomfortable, doesn't it? That the Lord takes it that seriously, that if you pray for something, you must believe that the Lord will give it. And the reason it makes us uncomfortable is, is so often it's expose, exposing this, that we're praying for things that we don't really believe the Lord will answer. That ought not to be. Because where is it coming from? It's coming from a small and a stingy view of God. It's basically saying the Lord's arm, it is too short to save. Or it is saying, well, the Lord, he worked in ages past, but he surely can't work in our own times. 
or it's saying, well, maybe the Lord could answer others, but for me, he has forgotten to be merciful. So all of it, what does it trace back to? To a wrong view of the one to whom we pray. But it, it was far otherwise with Habakkuk. He had this persuasion. He had this expectation that the Lord would answer. He was a watchman. And so not only did he pray, but he watched to see what the Lord would do in reply. And it was, it was something that the Lord honored, wasn't it? Look at what happened after uh, verse 1. It says here, And the Lord answered me, and said, Write the vision, and make it plain upon the tables, that he may run that readeth it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak, and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Behold, his soul, which is lifted up, is not upright in him, for the just shall live by his faith. So much we could talk about there, but the, the sum of it is this, that the Lord gave him a special vision that answered all of his concerns, and it was about God's judgment and justice against the proud and his grace towards those who look unto him by a living faith. The Lord answers prayer. He answered this prayer unto Habakkuk, and he yet answers prayer today. He will answer our prayers, congregation, if we take up this calling to be his watchmen and his watchwomen. And so I ask you, is this something that is yet a part of your life at all? Have you ever undertook this calling to be watchers? Well, let us remember the one to whom Habakkuk prayed, the God of grace and mercy who welcomes sinners unto himself by the solemn covenant, even promising that those who, who live by faith are reckoned to be just in his sight for the sake of Jesus Christ. Let us be those who heed this call.